0: This morning, things may look a little different because Pastor Mike's not here. Sheila's not here. They are on vacation this week, enjoying a little downtime, a little R&R for the next few days. They'll be back later on this week. So I would ask that you keep them in your prayers over the next few days, that the Lord would refresh them and their bodies, their minds, and their spirits, bring them back refreshed and renewed. We're thankful for the leadership of this house. Amen. Pastor His wife and family that seeks to follow hard after the the, the Lord and the things of the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to just keep them in prayer this morning. In his absence, Pastor Mark, our student ministries pastor, is going to come and share a word with you this morning. And actually, before he does that, he's got a little announcement that he's going to make. So you kind of get a double blessing this morning. But I'll turn it to him this morning. Let him explain what's fixing to happen from here on out. Why don't you give him a warm welcome as he comes to share? Good
1: morning. Well, um, you know, I feel like the guest speaker here this morning that has a guest speaker for you this morning, if that's okay with you. A uh, couple, couple weeks ago, we were in Orlando for the fine arts competition. We took um, Reagan Montgomery and Malachi Hall, and both of them st- scored superior in the upper half in their categories. Malachi is going to preach to you today for a five-minute sermon. And I just want to say this, you know, he didn't plan on preaching, and he never preached before. You know, he's, he's, eight, he's 18, he's, he's there competing with kids who, you know, started preaching when they were four, five, six and to even do as good as as he did, it was just it was phenomenal. And to see him grow from our districts to our nationals was just fantastic. So, without further ado, uh, we're going to introduce Preacher Hall. Good morning.
2: So, I just have a couple things. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) um, I just wondered, have you ever wondered why God allows us to go through hard and difficult times? See, I know I have. And, uh, see, God never promised us that life was just going to be perfect and, you know, rainbows and cupcakes and just, just great all the time. No, but what he did promise is that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And, you see... I know you can think of some scriptures like like Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, like, for I know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, another one is like Romans eight twenty eight and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. See, those scriptures sound great because they're like, you know, God's going to prosper me. God's got a, got a great plan for my life. God's going to work all things out for good. Like, that sounds amazing, but see how can we apply that to real life situations? Like what happens when things don't go so great in life and whenever th- it does get difficult, see, um, back when COVID first started, I had a really close family friend of mine that, uh, he, 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 he was really cool. He would always take us to, on trips to like New Mexico and, and to like New York and like several different things. It was, it was awesome. He was a, he was a great person and, uh, um, he would always just be such a light. He would spread the light everywhere of Jesus, everywhere he went. And, uh, but actually he, he ended up passing away to uh, COVID, um, back when it first started, and honestly, that that was pretty tough, because, um, like, he, whenever I was in the kids ministry, uh, he would always be there, and he would just be a light that whenever I was just, like, not really having the greatest morning, just kind of, things were just kind of tough, he would just always be there to, you know, lift me up and, 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 uh, give me, give me just kind of hope and just, uh, just be there to lift me up. He was kind of, in a way, like, a second father figure to me, and, um, Whenever he whenever he passed away, it was tough. I was I was questioning God. I was, I was like I was confused and sad, and I didn't understand. I was like God, how can you say that you have a plan and a purpose for my life? How can you say that you you're going to work things out for good when you let things happen to people like this that had such an impact in so many people's life, not just my own, but so many other people? And how can you how can you say that and yet still let things like that happen? Well, you see. What I didn't know is I, I took it, I, there's another context to it. See, whenever you translate the word prosper in the Hebrew, it actually means peace. And so God says he's not going to take you out of situations, but what he's really going to do is be with you through situations. He's going to give you peace in situations. Not take you out of situations, but he's going to be with you through the situations. And that's what was really, really helpful for me. Because when you think of it that way, I mean, take Jesus dying on the cross, for example. You know, Jesus literally died, and it was literally the worst tragedy probably in all of history. You know, a perfect man, innocent man, did literally nothing wrong, yet they still crucified him. The worst death possible. And yet, but that's not the end of the story. Three days later, he returned, and he rose from the grave. So God transformed the biggest heartache, the biggest tragedy ever, and he transformed it into the biggest miracle. So that just proves that God... He has a plan, and his ways are always so much higher and so much bigger, so much better than our own. See, God can and will work everything out for his glory and for his timing, not our own. See, his ways, we might think of it as a hard time right now, but he's still with us, and he still has a plan. He still knows what he's doing. He's He's not scared by the situation you're going through, so whatever it is, He's not scared by it. He knows what he's doing. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's going to get you through it. He's going to be with you through it. So today I just invite you, you know, what are you holding on to? What, what is it that you're, you have, maybe it's it's hurt, maybe somebody's hurt you, maybe you're going through something, maybe maybe it's a family member um, got diagnosed with a sickness or something. Well, what are you going to, what are you holding on to that you're going to let go of and just give to God because his ways, he, he ultimately knows what he's doing he has the plan he will bring you through this situation no matter what it is so what what are you holding on to what do you have right now that you can just let go of and give to completely solely to god say god i give this to you because i can't hold on to it but you can because you are ultimately going to get the victory thank you <laughs>
1: Not bad for uh, never preaching till this year. All right. Um, well, as Pastor Brent said, I am going to be with you this morning. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, I should have skipped. Uh, <laughs> I looked right at Miranda when I said that. I don't know why. Uh, but I have a message this morning, and I know that this message might come off as a little you know, I know better type thing. And I really don't mean it to come off like that this morning. Um, But it's something that's just so deep ingrained into my faith and my heart that I can't help but get a little, you know, aggressive with it and emotional with it. So I hope that you hear my heart this morning. And I hope that those of you who already have found this truth, that you're just like, yes. And those of you who might have been confused, you'll see it in a clearer picture this morning. But the title of this morning, um, if you're taking notes, is just arrows. And you'll understand what that means later. But I want to go ahead and get started. And um, I'll be honest with you this morning. I'll just be up front. My agenda is very simple, and it is putting Jesus first. Okay? That's it. The number one, the the reason, you know, I'm coming straight up with an agenda. I'm coming with a plan. I'm not here. My, My plan is I want to have everybody in this room, everybody in this church, everybody in Cleburne, everybody in Texas, everybody in the world to put Jesus first in their faith and their understanding. And we'll get to how that all came to be, but I find that it's not necessarily how the church always operates. The Christian faith always operates, okay? I, I've been in ministry for a little over 10 years now, um, a youth pastor for over 10 years. I've been a self-proclaiming Christian for over 20 years uh, I went to CFNI, Christ for the Nations, for three years, Dallas Baptist University for two years. Um, I've been to the conferences. I've been to the worship sessions. I've heard the big speakers speak. I've heard you know, people from all, over, all across the world. I've been to churches, and this isn't like a resume, but <laughs> I've been to churches in Russia, uh, in Thailand, in Malaysia, it, all over Texas, in Pennsylvania, a couple other places. I, I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot. And there is just one thing that I know that has always kind of... It it bothered me before, and I didn't know why, and then when I figured it out, I saw clearly. Kind of, if you ever hear the story where Jesus talks about taking the plank out of your own eye so that you can see to help... It it was a big plank in my eye, and I really didn't have this revelation until about uh, nine, eight years ago. And that one revelation, it changed everything. And it very simply is putting Jesus first. And I'll, and I'll get to what, what we're talking about here in a minute. But I do have some people I need to come up and help me with an illustration. So all of you who are coming up, why don't you make your way up here now? Um, and and Gavin, I know you're filling in. Here, let me give you, give Gavin one that he didn't get instructions. Here you go, buddy. You just face that forward and stand and everybody else knows where to go. All right. So um, I want to talk to you guys today about something that I've seen to be a problem in the Christian faith, all right? It's, it's something that I've seen and I, I've, I've been, I didn't understand it was a problem at first, but it just bothered me, like something's just not right, something's just whatever. And as I began to open my eyes, as the Holy Spirit began to open my eyes, as, as scripture came alive to me, I began to see it a lot more clearly, okay? And what I first thought was the way we, pro- we, the way we project or the way we teach the gospel to the world doesn't seem quite right when I read the Bible, when I read Scripture, when I read what Paul and John and Peter uh, and James are saying. Okay, and here's the gospel that a lot of times the church, including us, you know, even in in, uh, the AG sometimes, we give a gospel like this. Okay, oh, it's already, we're already in order. Okay, so we have bad, bad things, you're bad. Okay? And then we have good. And we have a moral... A moral code of everything in between. And we have the worst of all sins, which is cursing. That's a, that's a joke. It's, it's relax. All right. The worst of all sins is if, if cursing. Then maybe indulgence. And then morally, morally speaking, we have good dad or a good person or whatever. And then we have Jesus, right? And we have this kind of moral code. And there's a thousand other things you could put in here. We have, uh, you could have um, anything from prayer to, you know, stealing or whatever it is. We have all this spectrum of morality. And we tell the world, hey, listen, like, you're an indul- you're, you're, you're kind of obsessed with yourself and self-indulgence and you're, and you're only glorifying the flesh. You need to go over and be this good over here, all right? You're, you're sitting at a, a, a four. You need to come over here and be a nine or a ten here with Jesus, all right? And so... Jesus, what we find is when we show the world that, we show the world, we say, hey, Jesus is the better good. Jesus is a better way. Jesus is a gooder option. Okay? That is not the gospel. The gospel says cursing is all the way at bad, indulgence is all the way at bad. Nuh uh. Sir, come over here. Good deeds are nowhere near enough to be good. And Jesus is not one of the good things. He is the only good thing. I started to see this in the gospel clearly, and I thought to myself, wow, it's not a moral compass of, there's, you know, a spectrum where Jesus is just at the top of the spectrum. Jesus is holy, which means set apart which means in no way comparable to anything else. All of man's good deeds could not attain true goodness. We were born with sin inherent in ourselves. Right? And so when we, when we teach the world, hey, I, I notice this to be a problem. Like, Man, we, we, this is what we tell the world. Why are we telling the world that this is the way morality is? This, Jesus is not one of the good things. He's the only good thing. And in fact, uh, Isaiah 64... For says even our even our good deeds, I'll say good deeds, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And if you ever want to do a word study on what filthy rags means, my wife said I wasn't allowed to say it, but it's not good. It's very not good. Okay, even the best is nothing. When we put Jesus into the picture, he is the only good. So I saw that, and I saw this is what we're telling the world. But when there's a outward problem. When there's a problem on the outside, you always need to look inside. And I think that, and hey, you, you four come back into the middle. I was going to have them shuffled, but they're whatever. All right. So I started to look inward towards the church, towards the Christian faith. So I was like, okay, we're not necessarily explaining the gospel always correctly. Some, some are, but some aren't. And, and and not so much as just words you know, we might be able to say the right words, but our actions might say something more like morality. Our parenting oh, might say more like morality. You just need to be like, more like Jesus and less like that. And it's like, no, you need to be all like Jesus, and that's all you need. Um, and so, uh, so we, have this, we have this next spectrum of the internal. So everybody, but Jesus, uh, everyone flip. Welcome to the church. All right, we have you, and we have the you're the Father God. You look like the Father God. All right, we have God, and then we have all the church stuff in the middle. I mean, you could put a thousand things here too. We could have praise and worship. We could have uh, prayer and fasting and uh, revivals and small groups and all of it. We could just throw all of it in there. But we have all these things, and what we end up doing. And and this is from children's ministry all the way up to the adult ministry. And again, we might know better initially, but our actions and our words and our walks say something totally different. Our intentions look totally different. And we have this idea that, hey, you know what gets you to God? The Bible and miracles and church and Jesus and fasting and prayer and praise and worship and this and Sunday night service and outreaches and missions, and we could go on and on and on and on. And all of that is the message we tend to get convoluted with. We think, hey, church, Jesus, the Bible, they're all, again, just like before, Jesus is one of the good things. I'm going to read something this morning. It's what wrecked me. And what changed my perspective. It's Colossians 1. I'm going to start in verse 13. Picking up as Paul is talking to the church. I want to read you something. And I just want you to consider it this morning. Um, Starting in verse 13. He's talking about the Father. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son. This is the Son. That he loves In whom we have, in whom we, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So he, God is connected, right? Verse 15. The son, that's Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God. And if you know the Jews, they never had a graven image. They never had a statue. They never had something they worshipped. He was the invisible God. Never had a picture to even look at to know what Yahweh was or how he looked. And then Paul is saying, and then boom, here it is. It was never a statue. It was a man. It was the Son. He was the firstborn over all creation. And in him, all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, Visible, invisible, whether it's thrones, powers, or rulers, or authority, all things have been cre- created through him and for him. He is before all things. I'm just going to point to you a lot, okay? You don't get a complex. All right. He is, before, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, meaning the first resurrected, so that we all resurrect in him as we die to ourselves, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God. And not only that, you were enemies. You were enemies to God because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight, blameless and free of accusation. If, oh, we don't like that one if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven in which I, Paul, have become a servant. That doesn't look like Jesus is part of the church club, does it? It looks to me as I read this, I'm like, wait a second. Every sermon, every prayer, every event, every aspect of our lives, every movement, every decision we make should be filtered through Christ and Christ alone. Oh, man, that wrecked me because I was like, you know, we're doing the church thing and we're trying to look cool and we're trying to have this and we're trying to do that. And I was like, man, I built a house on sand because I didn't build it on Christ alone as the foundation. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, whoever hears what Jesus says and does, has that firm foundation. And I was like, oh, it's, it's about Jesus. And when you start to understand the rest of the Bible, you really do realize that. But I feel like when we get so caught up in church, sometimes we just lose it. it it's right there in scripture, but we lose it because we get distracted by other things. This is not surprising. This is the Pharisees. This is what Paul fights against all the time in the early church. Hey, you guys can go ahead and, and, and sit down now, all right? I'll let you sit. I'll make you stand up here the whole time. Um, and so, the main point I want to get to is to ca- categorize Jesus among the rest as equals is to undermine the entire gospel. To say Jesus is one of the good things is to undermine the entire gospel. To say Jesus is a, a better good than some of the other stuff is to undermine the gospel. Jesus is the only good. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only light into this world. And anything else is not the gospel of which Paul became a servant, and which we then try to follow him. And Peter, and James, and John, they all had this same idea. You read their words, you like, think, man, they really did put Jesus first, and only Jesus first. Okay? So I want to talk about some of the signs up here this morning. And just, just briefly talk about them and why I think maybe we tend to jump into them a little too far and forget to separate them from Jesus and all of that. So how they can kind of enter in and be a sub-part of what we think is just as important as Jesus. Okay, number one, I hear this, I've heard this before, I've heard it quoted. Um, the Bible and Jesus are the same. That's the first one where it goes wrong. We, we hear it, Bible and the Jesus are the same. And here's where it comes from, John 1. All right, in the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Okay? We have this idea that, and for whatever reason, we translated it like this, but Americans kind of started calling it the Word exclusively. But we have this idea, in the beginning, there was the Bible, and the Bible became Jesus, which is very interesting That is not how that translates. (laughs) That's not how that translates, but we have this idea that oh the Bible and and Jesus, they're they're almost on the same the same level and they're just as important as one another. They are not. And I want to tell you this morning that I want to get ahead of myself. I'll say this that scripture doesn't work when you read a little bit later and you read John twenty one, twenty-five, where John himself says Jesus did many other things as well if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So even John is like, yo, Jesus had way more. He just, I mean, we're trying to write notes. Has anybody ever tried to take notes of somebody talking and you're just like, I, I got like four things? You said like 20, but okay. I, you know, everybody in high school is like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. I, took, I was taking notes and then I was like, oh, look, a butterfly's outside. Oh no, where did we go? Um, <laughs> And I really feel like John would be that guy. But anyways, so here's the deal, though. We get in this mindset that maybe that the Bible and Jesus are on the same playing field, the same level. And so we treat the Bible with just as much uh, respect as we would Jesus himself. And in fact, I better be careful. In fact, I'll say it. In fact, I wonder sometimes if Jesus would show up in some churches in America if the preacher wouldn't throw the Bible at him because he was doing it wrong. And I wouldn't be surprised because that was every Pharisee in Jesus' time. Well, not every Pharisee, but most of them. That was the Pharisees he was talking about. They were throwing the Old Testament, the Scriptures, at Jesus and saying, you're doing it wrong. Look at your disciples. They're doing this on the Sabbath. How dare they? They're throwing the Word at Jesus trying to one-up him. And I wonder sometimes if we don't elevate the scriptures above the one that the scriptures were about. And so the Bible is the most fascinating, most, one of the most complex, most influential, amazing books ever compiled. It, it, is, it is supernatural in its existence. Nobody can write another book like the Bible written over a 1,000 years, compiled different stories from different cultures, from different authors, and still maintain a consistent thread throughout the entire thing? There is no way. How many of you all saw the last three Star Wars movies? That was a big break. The last three Star Wars movies. Okay? If you have, unfortunately, seen them. Uh, So you have one, the first one. Number, I guess it's number seven, directed by one person. And then they decided, you know what we should do? You know what would be a great idea? Switch directors for a trilogy because that's a great idea. And so they have another director coming. That second director looks at the first director and says, I don't like where you're going with that. I'm going to go ahead and do my own thing. And kind of like you had character arcs coming and you had a story going. And, you yeah, we're going to do this other thing. That's fine. We're just going to leave it hanging. That's, that's cool. You know, we have the Luke throwing his lightsaber, all that. What happened to Finn? I don't know. All right, so, uh, and then they're like, well, that bombed, naturally. So let's give it back to the the first director. And he takes it, and he's like, okay, so we're going to go back, and, you know, there's a character arc, but we're missing the centerpiece. But I think we should go back and do what the first one was. They couldn't even get, there was two people at the same time, same place, same content. They couldn't even get a, a fluid story together. How in the heck? Do multiple people writing over generations and generations with hundreds of years in between each one, with different cultures, different rulers, different authorities, different languages, different uh, rulers get together and have a thread throughout an entire story? There is no way. There is no way. The Bible is the greatest book ever written. But here is the caveat Jesus is not great, He is not powerful. He is not authoritative because he's in the Bible. The Bible is powerful, influential, and authoritative because it's about Jesus. The Bible does not give Jesus his power. Jesus Christ, being that thread, gives the Bible its power. The Bible is just an arrow pointing to Jesus. Just an arrow, maybe the greatest one, but it's still just an arrow. Some say <laughs> some churches in our country, some especially the very charismatic, we get we get hyper focused on miracles. That's the, this is the second one where things go wrong. We get hyper focused in miracles, and I Brent just saying "House of Miracles," good song though. But but my point being is we get we get whole churches built around just the miracles. I mean, the whole thing is to come and have a miracle. And then go home. That's it. That's the focus. Like you come and you know, you might say the name of Jesus if it's convenient to get the miracle and then go home because that's why you come. You come for the miracles. And so we have mega church pastors. We have small churches. We have missional churches. We have churches in other countries that are out there and they're, and they're all chasing after the miracles. (coughs) Well, this is going to be, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised. God constantly shook up his people with miracles. All the Old Testament, New Testament, he was constantly shaking people up. He was calling his nation back unto himself, redirecting them back unto himself, keeping a lineage of Abraham alive. He was splitting the Red Sea. He was taking down walls of Jericho. He was doing thing after thing after thing, constantly trying to bring his people back, even pulling away from them as well. But he was constantly trying to bring his people back to him, all to get to the Messiah. Yes, the Messiah. <laughs> Jesus. It, it, was, it was all of this. All of this stuff in the Old Testament was miracle to keep his people, his lineage going, and to bring his people back unto himself, his chosen people, the Israelites, and to bring them back and, and to be part of, of their, their story. And then finally, the Messiah was born out of their lineage. Finally, the Messiah is here. And then miracles start to happen from him, Jesus. He performs miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Then he sends his disciples out, and he's like, "Hey, you go, you go doing too." And they all start doing miracles and miracles and miracles. And it's like, "Whoa, this is crazy! All these miracles!" But what was the point? We tend to get focused on the miracles, but the miracles were not meant to be the focus. In John ten thirty eight, Jesus is talking about those miracles. He says, "If I do them." Even though you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe the miracles. That, oh man, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in him. The miracles are not meant to just be the miracles. The miracles are meant to be an arrow pointing at me that I am sent from the Father and the Father is in me. Miracles were just arrows, are just arrows pointing to the sun. Amen. That was the purpose, is the purpose, will be the purpose of miracles. Finally, some say that the church is where you show your faith. And there's two kind of definitions of the church that roll around on off of our tongues a lot. There is the church, the body, the bride of Jesus Christ. And then there's the service that we call church, like right now. You know, we call this, I'm going to church. That's what we call it. And I find that there are plenty of places, even in this country, that the service is where you be the Christian, and then you go home and get trashed. Because, hey, you went to church that week. The main purpose of God is to have church attendance. Yes, that'll change your life and the world. Going to church and then going home and not ever following the pattern or model of Jesus Christ. And so we have this concept that, that does float around, and this idea that a person's, a person's devotion to church shows their faith. And how good of a Christian they are, or how much they tithe. Oh boy, I'm not ready for that message, right? Uh, so, but here's what we have. We have this idea that the church, maybe, maybe that um, the church defines an individual's devotion to Christ. It does not, Right? A church is a place that's a meant to be a collection of believers all striving to be more like Christ. Hence the name Christians. Hence the name little Christs is what it means. Little followers, it was a, it was a derogatory term. If Some of you probably know this. It was a derogatory term to say hey, that's little, little Christ imitators. They're trying to be like that guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I am. Thank you very much. That's what the early disciples said and they said sure, we'll take that name off. That's Hilarious, you meant for it to be bad, but it seems like, like normal. God's turning things together for um, the good of those who love him. And so we have this idea, we call, we, the early church called themselves the followers of the way. That was the whole purpose of the church is to get together and be a whole bunch of people that are all arrows pointing to Jesus. Hey, I'm Paul. Let me show you. And tell you about Jesus. Hey, I'm Peter. Let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, I'm John. Let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, I'm James. I'm, t- I'm, I'm Andrew. Hey, I'm Stephen. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. All the way up until today where the church is still meant to be just arrows pointing to Jesus Christ. Some might say, and this we can keep going with some may say, good works are the purpose of Christianity. Good works are meant to be arrows pointing to Jesus. Some might say prayer and fasting and worship and angels and services and all of these things are meant, are are the focus, or we 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 have you know whole groups that all they do is they just they just pray. Which is good. Prayer is great. All these things are great. Prayer is great, but when you don't walk, talk, and act like Christ, that's that's called a hypocrite. So you could pray 24-7. But if you're not living out a character like Christ, you're still not technically following the gospel whatsoever. Because we are meant to have Christ-centered, Christ-first and to walk, talk and act like him and do our best to strive to be that way. But knowing that salvation is full of grace and mercy. And he has come down and sacrificed himself for us. And God used him to reconcile us unto himself. Because here's the truth. Paul Peter, James, John, the Old Covenant, the Old Scriptures, the New Testament, the Ark. We have, this, we have all of these stories. They're all meant to be arrows for Christ. They're all meant to point to the Messiah. And, and some, you know, some of us might say, this makes sense. But does it make sense in our walk, our talk, and our, our beliefs and what we really do? I know in, Christ, in, in kids' church, and this isn't to criticize this kids' church. I mean in general. Something I've seen is, and and I was one of them, so I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, other people. It was me, too. You know, we come out of, you're in fifth grade, and you had those Bible studies in your Sunday school. And you're like, do you know who are cool in the Bible? It's like Jesus and David and Moses and, oh, what's another one? Noah and Abraham. And they're all kind of the great people in the Bible. And that's kind of the, that's how we come out of it sometimes. We're like, yeah, they're all great, aren't they? It's like, well, sure. But one of them is heads and shoulders above the other. One of them is set apart from the other ones. In fact, you have the story of Noah and the ark where mankind is set for doom and God sends a, I mean, an ark to come in and save us from impending doom. And boy, it would almost be like that's an allusion to a Messiah coming when we're all meant to doom and save us from death and sin. But we have the story of David where he takes on Goliath, and you've heard it before. It's not the story about David and Goliath, it's the story about Jesus facing sin and death, something that everyone else was too terrified and unable to beat. But here comes the shepherd to take down the greatest enemy we've faced. It is G it's an arrow. It's an arrow. It's an arrow. Our faith should have Jesus first. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, and everything else is meant to be an arrow pointing to him. If our faith does not revolve around him exclusively, we don't have a firm foundation to stand on. It is shaky, and it will fail. Christ and his teachings and his ways are the way, the truth, and the light. And I want to read this one more time in light of this. I know it's, it's, a, it's a long uh, set of scripture, but I find it to be so good. I just want to read it again. I'll start in verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Team, you, can, you guys can come on up, by the way. All right. The sun is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and If your faith doesn't quite fit that mold, if you feel like maybe it's been a journey where you, you kind of you came out of a kids' church and you kind of had everybody's kind of equal and they're all great, but Jesus is just the greatest. I know it's a little gospel forward today. I love hearing the gospel. I love preaching the gospel. I love when a new person comes to Christ because of the of, of the gospel and the Holy Spirit moving in them. I love the gospel and I never get tired of hearing it, and I don't find any born-again believer who doesn't want to hear the gospel one more time. It is the greatest story ever told. There is nothing like it. Lord of the Rings tried to get close, but there is nothing greater than the gospel. And so this morning, I know I'm preaching a lot to the choir here, so to speak, a lot of people who have been in church, and maybe people who have given their hearts over to Jesus, but I want to take some time this morning and as we go into worship just to check our hearts. You know, Holy Spirit, where, where am I not putting Jesus first in my faith and my belief? Am I? God, Holy Spirit, show me something that maybe I could work on. And, and maybe something takes the place of Jesus. Or maybe something comes alongside of Jesus. Is Jesus the one who rules my heart? We always like to call him Savior we don't always like to call him Lord, because that requires a lot more out of us. But Jesus is Lord and Savior. He is both. And so, and so um, as we move on here into, into a song, if you guys want to go ahead, um, I just want, I want all of us to stand up and just take a minute. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And if you feel like, hey, the, listen, I got it. I could come up here and preach that sermon. I could preach it better than you that's fine. Then spend some time praising Jesus because he is the way. He is our savior. He is our rescuer. He is who got sent down specifically to bring us back to the father so that we might have eternal life and be one with him one day. So as we launch into worship, I just say, I just, you know, close your eyes. If you want to come up to the front, you can, you don't have to. Um, I just want all of us to take a minute this morning and just put Jesus first. All right, just a couple minutes, and we'll, and we'll move on. I'll give it over to them.
3: It was my cross you bore, so I could live in the freedom you died for. And now my life is yours. I will sing of your goodness forevermore. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve in your love your grace goes on and on and i will sing of your good by praise you're the name Fills Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve praise. Worthy is your name.
1: our hearts and our minds and our thoughts our dreams, our passions our vision our desires to you Jesus we lay them down once again at the foot of the cross we ask Jesus that you remain and continue to be the focus of our faith, our hope our love, our joy, that we reside and rely and lean in on you. Let the people in this place give their lives as a living sacrifice to you, Jesus. I pray when we, when we fall short that we don't give up and get discouraged, but that we pick ourselves up and march right back to the feet of Jesus love you, we give you all the glory, all the honor this morning, Jesus we lift up your name, above all names, we love you.